This is Dead Stick Radio, episode 11, recorded live Sunday, April 26, 2020, The Atomic Pumpkin. All right, and we're live. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Not too bad at all. Where, where, where are you coming from, Brian? I'm uh, I'm just back here at home. I've got my little uh, studio all, all kind of set up. Whereabouts are you, Scott? I see uh, yeah. see you've got some weird uh, industrial looking stuff in the background there. Yeah, this is the mezzanine at the hangar. There's a there's some old I think there's a there's an old uh, set of lawyer furniture upstairs, and it actually fits this kind of nook perfect. I've got this window in front of me overlooking the hangar. It's a pretty sweet setup. Oh, nice. I'm ordering parts. I'm out here measuring stuff, ordering new brake pieces. Nice. So today, obviously, we have... Yeah, what uh, about you, Matt? We have Matt Hughes uh, from uh, Atomic Pumpkin. I'm just sitting, uh, hanging out in my house here in Cochrane. Just got home nice from the trophy. hangar. Yeah, you like yeah. that? Uh, two of them from 2020, or 2019, I guess. I, I can only see one. Is that one yours? Is Blair's cut out? No, that, uh, this one's mine. Uh, it's uh, time on it is a little bit faster than this one, which is uh, Blair's. <laughs> but how much? Um, point, point six of a mile. Oh yeah, <laughs> so that that that's probably good lead in here. So we have probably uh, what twenty twenty five uh, consistent followers, Brian, yeah. um, and none of them know Matt yet. So, Matt, how did, how did you end up racing, first of all? How did you end up meeting us? And how did you end up where you are today with Atomic Pumpkin? Yeah, so last couple of years, been just going to the races and hanging out in Reno. And um, 2018, it would have been kind of my wife and I got really serious. And um, I went to uh, PRS as just a fly on the wall with Tom Watkins and then at the races in September, my wife and I hung out with uh, Outlaw and a few other teams and just kind of got, <laughs> got to know uh, got to know everybody and kind of learned the ropes and uh, decided that we were going to buy a plane and, and uh, come back in 2019 and race as a, uh, as a team, wife and husband team. So uh, I think uh, Scott gave me a lead on a plane in uh, fall of uh, 2018 and we, we uh, snapped up that plane and brought it home and worked on it all winter and then went down to the races, uh, 2019 and it was fun. It was good. But, but you, you guys are unique anyways, though, because both you're, you're married and both of you fly. And That's if correct. I got this right, you both met while flying. That's right. We Did both met. Right? Uh, yeah, we met while we were training to crop dust. Where? In North Battleford had Battleford's air spray. So are you are you like a commercial pilot regular or like a normally commercially commercial pilot? Um, my wife uh, started flying twins, so she was flying a, I think a Cheyenne and a King Air two hundred doing medevacs in northern Manitoba and northern Alberta, and then she uh, left that to uh, start uh, crop dusting and took to school and then did some crop dusting and then she switched back and forth between flying for the Reynolds Museum in Wetaskiwin and. Uh, and crop dusting. So, um, and I did most of the crop dusting and then did, uh, 
some twin work up in uh, Thompson, Manitoba. Uh, and other than that, for the last eight or 10 years, we haven't flown commercially. We hold a commercial license, but we just uh, fly for fun. Ah. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. You can actually afford to buy your own airplanes that way. <laughs> yeah. We'll see here. It's actually working out pretty good right now because all my airline friends are all grounded. Yeah, I know. That was my backup plan, so it's kind of out the window. But, yeah, I feel bad for those guys. It's a, it's a big hit. Oh, yeah. And it's not going to end anytime soon either. Yeah. That's the worst of it. Yeah. So what kind of planes do you fly? Aside from uh, aside from your atomic pumpkin there, what other planes do you own? Uh, we have a Longies, uh, original plans built Longies uh, with an O235 in it and a uh, Q1 Quickie. Uh, and in the past, we've had a Sonorai. Uh, we don't have that anymore. So yeah, all amateur you, or experimental. You had the Q1 first, right? I started a Q1 back in early 2000s and then i never finished it and i sold it um and then i bought this quickie in 2014 urged it and flew it and then i took it apart to upgrade the uh the engine what engine was in it was it like uh, two-stroke uh, it was 18 horsepower onan <laughs> yeah with, with like one spark plug no it's got yeah one spark plug per cylinder yeah it's essentially you know straight off a garden tractor um with a prob hub just right, right flange to the crankshaft so yeah oh man it's a little upgrade what's yeah. it like to fly though because like the the elevator is like in the in the landing gear which is also the canard yeah so it's it's interesting i mean uh the ground handling the is a bit different with it obviously um doesn't have very good braking and with the wheels being at the end of the canards, if you hit even like a puddle of water or a little snowbank, it kind of tweaks it around. So it, the tail's kind of skidding. There's not a lot of weight on the tail. Um, but yeah, in the air, it's, it's actually pretty agile. It doesn't, doesn't have very good climb performance, like 150 to 200 feet a minute. So yeah, but you're an 18 climber. horsepower. Yeah. They did. Yeah, and when you get uh, leveled out, though, you know you're doing 100 miles an hour on uh, you know two gallons of two gallons an hour of fuel and 18 horses. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So the the quickies that little to... little one with little uh, it's like the two two wings on it, right? With uh, yeah. sing is it a single or a dual seater? Single seater. Yeah, it's tiny. Well, yeah. the Q2 is the two seater, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. why'd you take it apart? Uh, I'm going to put a half VW on the front of it. So I'm going to go from 18 horsepower up to 26 horsepower. So it's a oh, pretty man. good, pretty healthy jump. Man, that's blistering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a How new fast? prop. Um, what, uh, what what red line is it? Like 150 or something? Uh, The V&E on that thing, yeah, is not. I think it's maybe even lower than that. So I'm not sure. 120 miles an hour. That's Man, that's like mine. So <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, but he's got twenty-five horsepower <laughs> on a good day. Yeah. yeah. Like, what's the prop like? This big? Um, I got a prop made by uh, uh Culver Props. I think okay. it's uh, I want to say it's a forty-inch diameter. Like, 
I can't, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's, that might be actually less than that. Might be 36 inch diameter. Oh yeah. Yeah. When, when you land the thing, you can't flare or no. When you land it, you just dump the stick forward when you touch down, don't you? Yeah. Essentially just, uh, quit quit the lifts on the front but it it's pretty springy so you kind of have to grease it on if you you can drop it on but you just have to ride out the bounces it's like sitting on a diving board and just waiting waiting for it to quit the springing oh i bet yeah like even if i'm sitting it and i move up and down like that the whole thing just kind of springs around yeah yeah man that's pretty sweet but there have been a lot of like canard failures haven't there been no just from people having hard landings Oh yeah, from hard landings, yeah, on the on the quickies, yeah. Usually snap yeah, it off at near the yeah, mid span or something. But never in flight. And the tail just unscrews, doesn't it? Like kind of behind the cockpit? Yeah, there's uh what is it? Uh eight uh ten thirty two screws. Eight? Yeah. Two per side. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I think it's like I don't know if it's eighty thou aluminum tabs that are uh, um, like I guess fiber, fiberglassed in and then screwed in. Yeah, so it's got a shear plane on it. But there's really, I mean, the elevator or the is the only thing on the tail, and it's literally like I think it's two or three inches by six or eight inches. Like it's pretty small. Oh yeah, so there's nothing there, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So all it takes is the load off the tailwheel and the rudder. Essentially, yeah. Man. That'd be so fun. Yeah, it's because you're flying around. If there's, like, any kind of, like, you know, breeze or turbulence in the air, like, you you feel it. You're just floating around like a leaf, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun. Totally unlike Brian's airplane. Yeah, mine's <laughs> a little docile. <laughs> Brian, Brian's you, got a buccaneer. Yeah, my uh, my Lake Buccaneer, which is now finally back in the air again. That thing's like a tank. Yeah. Tell, uh, tell us about flying that thing. You're flying it uh, obviously off pavement right now. Yeah, off pavement right now. We're just waiting for the the water to kind of all clear up out there. But uh, it's uh, it's pretty docile and pretty uh, pretty uh, pretty pretty basic to to fly. Uh, it's it's not particularly heavy on the controls, but not light either. So it's not like a little little racer or something. But uh, uh, it's uh, I, I enjoy the hell out of flying that thing. It's uh, it's got uh, obviously it's a full flying hull boat. So uh, obviously I got uh, I got video of that on the on the YouTube channel. It's going up there uh, sooner or later. I have a bunch of bunch of footage I haven't cut together yet. So uh, I'll have a bunch of stuff on there shortly. But uh, that one's fun. Well, it's got what throttles on the ceiling, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you have to. It's got a so yoke to, extender for uh, the center of the instrument panel. Yeah, exactly. On a typical airplane, they're sitting out of the the center of the panel. On mine, they're up on the roof, so you have to grab the grab the throttle up above you. Uh, there's also the the mixtures up there. Then I've a, a constant speed prop as well, so there's a constant speed. But then there's also a fourth lever up there, and it's not for carb heat. That one is actually my turbocharger, so I have to hit. I have to manually adjust my turbocharger if I want to be using it. Which is uh, not fun to say the least. Uh, if you're if you're sitting there with a th high throttle setting and you're you know twelve thousand feet and you kick that 
kick that all the way in, uh, you're going to get way over 30 inches of manifold. You'll you'll easily blow the engine out. Uh, so you have to be you have to basically throttle way back, kick the kick the turbo in, and then gently put the throttle back in. Otherwise, you will blow that engine because you got massive turbo lag on it as well. So, uh, but it, so it's uh, a manual wastegate control essentially. Yep, exactly. It's a full manual wastegate, yeah. so it it does mean it kicks like a like a mule when you're up at uh, altitude. Like I'll, I'm still climbing 650, 700 feet a minute all the way over 12,000. That's as high as I've gotten it thus far because of uh, you know I didn't have an oxygen system, but it just yeah. goes. Cool. You got to put oxygen in that thing. Yeah. What does it have for an engine? It's got a uh, it's got an uh, an IO three sixty in it, uh, so just okay. the A one B I believe the, the the fuel injected version of it, two hundred horse, uh, kind of an uh, old school engine. It does have a RPM restriction on it, unfortunately, but uh, with the specific Hartzell prop I've got, but uh, it uh, it uh, it's not really a big issue because I got a proper engine monitor which actually beeps at me and there I've got a big flashing light on it uh, that uh, will tell me if I'm in the RPM range. So I've it's nice to be uh, it's it's really it was one of the first things i added to the plane just because i knew i wanted to be really cautious with everything i wanted to know what all my engine temperatures were doing i wanted to know what my uh uh what the prop was doing and, and everything so it's uh, uh it's i wouldn't really want to be flying that plane without it especially because the plane's you know 50 years old now so and uh have you done any water landings in one or any water Training? I, ha I have, Float yeah. Training? The uh, the very first, uh, I was actually mandated by my insurance company to do uh, 250 uh, water landings, uh, or 250 landings uh, on it. 200 of those had to be water landings, and 50 of them were land landings. And uh, and that and and 25 hours with an with an instructor. So the, over the course of about four days, I did all of those water landings, uh, all those landings <laughs> in total. It was it was uh, kind of intense. So uh, I think so that you just I, get I, on the river and just keep on the river. <laughs> Pretty much, we were actually out in Ontario, Lake Muskoka, and okay. uh, just ho bunny hopping across the water there. So uh, we did a podcast on that a few months ago here, uh, uh, talking about that whole whole process. So, uh, um, Brian, Stick Radio on what? Are, what's it on? Spotify. Yeah, iTunes. we're on, Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. So if you search for Deadstick Radio on any any podcast uh, listener uh, podcast app, you'll find us on there. This is we're going to take the audio from this and turn it into a uh, uh, into an audio stream as well. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're not seeing the video, uh, you can always go onto Facebook and we'll have it there. We're also posting this. Uh, we're going to be putting this on uh, on a YouTube channel as well in the more high def version. So Facebook is is limited by its uh, its video quality, but face but uh, YouTube is going to have the uh, the full 1080 stream on there man that'd be fun so if you scroll back if you go to any of those um, uh, streaming services and scroll back a couple episodes we did an episode uh, on brian's adventures trying to go pick this thing up all of his trials and tribulations shall we say uh yeah. i'm fun time leading up to about uh when do we record that thing in about november or so yeah that sounds about right october Something like that. So, so all the way up to that point was uh, a really good story from Brian, including getting stuck for a week in, I think, Thunder Bay and yep. everything else on the way home. Getting in that thing with, like, what did you have, like, 70 hours total time 
in powered yeah. airplanes. Yeah, it was absolutely nothing. I still have, I still to this day have way more glider time than I have uh, power plane time. So, uh, yeah, doing 25 hours cross country across the Canadian Shield, which uh, for those uh, those American counterparts out there, it's basically just boreal forest underneath you with little lakes everywhere. So for most planes, it's something you don't really want to be doing. You want to be following roads. For me, I just beelined it because it's like I can land anywhere because there's there's lakes everywhere out here. So yeah. it was. Uh, so you were you were getting chased by winter, with like seventy hours total. Oh, I think I like, lost your audio what, there five for a hours second. Flyers? Oh, is it back yet? Yeah, it, got, it just came back. Oh yeah. So you, you had an airplane that sight unseen, well with the with the pre buy and everything, yep. flew it back with seventy hours total or something, and like yep. five hours in the last couple of years. Yep. Before all the the dual train all the way across Canada. <laughs> yep yeah i had uh, the only flying i had done was i did a rust remover out at uh, the the flying club and i did a uh, a lake or sorry not a lake a my float rating literally that spring and at the time i was just like i want to go fly float planes i don't really know exactly what i want to do with flying float planes i just want to go and do it and my parents have a have a house out in Kelowna, so it was it was easy for me to just wake up in the morning go out there do some flying and and get a float rating in a week and uh and of course then i, I got home and i like yeah i gotta buy a plane now and what should i be buying and uh the buccaneers really spoke to me so that's uh that's why i went with those yeah man what an adventure yeah. and seeing that thing flying like man i got so i posted a couple of uh, instagram stories on flying with you in formation the other day and i got so many comments from people like what is that thing it looks so unique. Yep, it really does. Yeah, it sounds uh, good too. Yeah, it uh, and a lot of that is the engine. The engine noise is uh, is a little bit different on that plane compared to other airplanes because it's got that turbocharger. So, yeah, dude, Matt, you got to bring an airplane up. And we'll go fly formation three ship. Yeah, at, at hundred knots. Bring the uh, hundred knots. I'll have to bring the long easy. Yeah. I could slow that thing down. No, when yeah, I get the quickie down, I could bring the quickie up. <laughs> oh. Man, that thing would be odd. Would it? Can, would you make it all the way? Uh, no, I'd probably have to fuel up. I think I have five gallons in that plane. Is that engine reliable enough? The uh, one I'm putting in. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> How far away are you from flying that thing? Oh, I'm a long ways away. Oh. Yeah, I got the cowling and everything, all the molds all built, but uh, I have to tear the engine down and go through the engine and then build a mount, firewall mount for it. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, I yeah guess you that, got, you gotta... Plus, I decided I was going to refinish it too, so I got it mostly stripped, so I got to finish all the body work on it. Well, bring, bring the easy up this summer. Yeah. And uh, we'll go do some three ship work. Watch Brian land on the lakes. Yeah. Yeah. While we circle overhead. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be the one that we're going to be doing a podcast, a video podcast sometime this summer at your lake. And I'll be the one coming in, touching down, landing in front of there. And we'll do the podcast on the wing of the plane in front of your, uh, in front of your, yeah. uh, your place. Yeah. I'm going to set, I'm going to set up out there on the pier and that, that big platform we've got and watch you in the background. Yep. We could even do like a how-to video, how to land on water. Or how not to. <laughs> <laughs> if he's rusty. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, how to dock? That's gonna. That's the one I'm most worried about. I haven't. We didn't even try any docking when I was uh, when I was out doing the flight training. So uh, uh, oh, really? that's gonna, that's gonna be a fun one. Uh, you might uh, might I might be buying a new dock this summer. We'll see. No way. I'm gonna set up like a raft far out that you can practice on. <laughs> <laughs> can do you reverse thrust in that thing? Like, can you pull it way back? Uh, some of them do. Mine doesn't. Uh, they have the, some of them have the MT prop, the carbon prop, but the moment you get any kind of, uh, have to do any work on them, they're basically impossible. And all they add is reverse thrust. They don't actually add anything else. So. Oh, just they're lighter to... too. Yeah. They're a little bit lighter. So, but, uh, it ultimately it, there's enough gross weight in that plane that, uh, that the difference in weight between an MT and a Hartzell isn't all that much. You have to get yourself a little Minn Kota trolling motor, and then you just hang it out the door. And <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I actually have a friend of mine in his uh, his lake. He's got one of those. Uh, he doesn't have the trolling motor anymore, but he has a space on the on the wall. He just clip he could clip one onto, and apparently the previous owner did, and that's what they did. They just motored around like that. <laughs> nice. There's a there there's a spot at Wadman um, on the point, the Fallis Point that all the boats go to collect at uh, in the summertime on warm days. And it's kind of like a boat party out there. So you should bring your plane and you'd be like the coolest person there. Yeah. Uh, that's There's the plan. like 50 boats in there and then one airplane. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my dad used to have a sailboat out there. Uh, it was a San Juan 23, uh, that he used to cruise around out there. And we, uh, we would go out to the, the, would go out to the point there, anchor with all everyone else. And everyone, someone had to always have a barbecue up and going, no matter what time of day it was, there was a barbecue going and someone's making hot dogs and hamburgers and, and whatnot. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'll, I'll, when my dad comes into town next, uh, we'll, we'll go out and do that and say hi to everyone. Oh, Man, that's gonna be so fun! It's it's gonna be awesome, yeah. There's still ice some, on the lake. Get some floats for the Kit Fox. Oh, I know, man. I can't afford that. These tires are almost floats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's too much already. But there's like there's a couple of roads nearby that are probably good enough to land on if I really wanted to. But then I have to worry about like storms coming and stuff and. It's not worth it. Yeah. For for a twenty five minute ride to the hangar, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Yeah, because you're fairly yeah, close at the cabin. Oh yeah, totally. Well, technically you are too, Brian. But that's the point: is to bring your plane up. Yep. And we just watch for storms. You could launch off. The... Yeah, exactly. Just... So you can fly east home. Exactly. Just kick on some throttle and off I go. Oh, that's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah, dude, Matt, you got to bring your easy up. Oh, yeah, Blair and I will fly formation up with the easy and the... And the pumpkin? And the pumpkin, yeah. yeah. They should dude, be pretty pretty matched. T- tell us about the pumpkin. So what was your first impression when you saw it? Uh, what was it like when you flew it? And then what's it like now? All right, well... Uh... I kind of bought it sight unseen, but the guy that was helping broker the deal, uh, I knew back from my Sonorai days. Uh, Who Ed was Fisher. that, Ed? Ed Fisher, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's a... He's big in the Formula V world too, right? He is, yeah. He's a he, he Hall of Famer, I think, and uh, he's, he's well known with the experimental world. Um, so I flew down to South Carolina and uh, 
you know, he helped me disassemble the plane and, uh, yeah, it was, it's really well built. It was a really nice plane, nice finish. Um, it was built for sport flying and, uh, we were gonna use it for racing. So brought it back, uh, home and then kind of took it apart and then built some, uh, changed some of the tins out to fiberglass components. Uh, just kind of went through and did a full thorough annual inspection on it. Um, yeah, and then just started flying it last summer and, you know, we're expecting a pretty, uh, you know, uh, I guess unstable airplane, but, uh, with all of our crop dusting experience and everything, it was actually not that hard to handle on the ground for my experience level. Uh, and in the air, it was, uh, it was a new feeling for sure. I mean, the plane will fly uncoordinated all day long, so you can get some weird feelings on your seat <laughs> yeah. sliding, ar- sliding around. So it's just getting used to that. And uh, then after that, you know, it's, it's a blast to fly. Uh, Blair, my wife, uh, she loves it. I mean, I've been doing a bunch of work on it, and she's been hounding me, like, when's the plane going to be ready to go? When's it going to be ready to go? But, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we changed all the front end to fiberglass from all the tins, like I said. And then uh, this winter I've been working on uh, – just like cockpit uh, ergonomics to make sure that all my uh, master and mags and switches are all close to our left hand. So when we're racing, if we get an emergency situation, that it's uh, set up properly so that we can uh, access all the switches just uh, with a quick movement of the left hand. Uh, before so we would have go ahead. If, if, there's, uh, if there's any F1 people listening or potential F1 people, why'd you change all your cows to fiberglass? Why'd you make uh, the changes you made? I did it so it's easy just to pop everything on and off. Um, the Formula One racer, we're all little mods here and there or in and out of the plane. So, um, you know, as much as you can consolidate the panels on the fuselage to just take them off easy, then, you know, you can get in a lot quicker to, to check it out. When you're racing, sometimes you don't have a lot of time between heats. Uh, so you got to be able to to get in and make repairs if you need to and get it back on. So I did it. I did it for just, um, the easier it is to access the plane, the higher the potential is that I'm going to inspect it more. And, uh, when I have snags, if it's a, if it's a crappy area to get into, you know, people typically put it off, but if it's more uh, easier to work with, then it's, uh, gets uh, looked at more often is what I find. So, yeah, so uh, yeah. we put it. Go ahead. If it's easy, if it's easy to take apart and put together, it's way better to work on. Yeah, yeah, and you're gonna. I mean, if you find you think something's not right, you're gonna tear it apart and take a look at it. It's nice and easy to access all the stuff. So I kind of try and make it uh, make it easy that way. Before there was about a half a dozen tins, and yet they went on in sequence and came off in sequence. So to access anything on the instrument panel you actually had to take off the whole front end, which would means removing the cowlings and then all the tins on the front end. Um, and we had a few wiring gremlins last year that we were running through, so it caused us a bit of downtime. Um, that was another reason why we went with the fiberglass front end. Um, and lightened it up too, uh, remove a little bit of weight. That's another thing for the racer. So this winter we put a, a floor pan in it and fiberglass seats and um, kind of turned out really good. So. Yeah. yeah. So, what about the panel? You're you're telling us about it a little bit. Yeah. What so, 
It's a pretty basic panel. I mean, airspeed, altimeter, uh, turn and bank coordinator. Pardon me? Round gauges? Yeah, all round gauges. I got a a Grand Rapids uh, uh, EIS in there, and then uh, just a flight line 760 radio and uh, KT-76 transponder and a coder. (laughs) It's probably one of needed for Spring Bank, right? Yeah, we need it for our airspace. It's probably one of the only cassettes with the Mode C transponder in it, but uh, yeah, we need it for the panel. <laughs> yeah, it was not in the panel. Um, so we kind of had everything pieced together to get in and get flying. Uh, the mission was to get, get hours on the and get to Reno um, knowing our plane and being comfortable in it. So there was a lot of things on the list that I wanted to do that didn't need to be done. Uh, and so this winter we took the opportunity to, to do all those and uh, just kind of make it better for us. So how long was it between you actually buying yeah, the plane yeah. and then actually going off into Reno? Um, well, Oh, good question. 2018 we were at, so 2018 in June, I went to pylon race school with Tom Watkins. Uh, I flew down with him and his Lance and I just helped out as a, a volunteer um, but I got to, you know, see the uh, how the school was ran, um, you know, all the critical points for the training, and what I needed to know so that when I came back the following year, I'd be ready. Um, and I, I would suggest, you know, you're only required to go to pylon racing school once every two years. Uh, and when you first get into racing, you know, you can go to pylon racing school in June and then race in September. But I would suggest people to go you know, maybe twice, like go one year and, you know, kind of soak it all in and then go the second year, bring a plane and get on the track and get some experience. Cause that's the only time you're going to get track experience before the races. Yeah. So, so what you just said that believe that certified racers who have raced at Reno in the last year, don't have to go back to PRS. So it's a one time yeah. thing for anybody, any, anybody interested in racing that's listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So then, uh, so like I said, we went to the races in September in the fall, my wife and I, and then, uh, you know, we're talking with people like, uh, Scott Holmes here and, uh, Philip, uh, go forth. Who's the class president, um, on planes. And then we bought our plane that fall. And then the next spring we started flying it and raced it, you know, so essentially eight months after we bought the plane, we were racing and we bought the plane in October and raced it in September. Wow. I guess a year. Yeah. yeah, so a year turnaround seems about what I expect as well for the average racer. If their plane is in good shape and it doesn't need like a build. Yeah, so I mean the critical um, points are to, I think you need a minimum of 10 hours if you have over 500 hours total time. So a minimum of 10 hours in your plane. But I would recommend that you have, you know, minimum 20 and uh, that you've gone through all of the flight test um, card, uh, you know, several times, so you can just fly it like it's uh, like it's nothing. So we have to do a couple steep turns left and right, and then a roll to the left and a roll to the right, and then uh, in then roll to the left inverted stop, maintain altitude, and then roll back right. Um, and that maneuver is just to show that you're competent if you get flipped upside down and wake turbulence, which is uh, which is a possibility on the race course. And then aborted takeoff and emergency um, 
emergency procedures on the course. So, yeah. So it's, do you it, really need a lot of time in your airplane to race? Like, yeah, a lot I of would people say, out there that, that seem to think they can just go straight into their airplane and go straight to racing with like a couple hours. Yeah. Like, so find that, or did you find that you actually needed to practice a little bit? If I had five hours in the plane, when I had five or 10 hours in the plane, I could have jumped on the course and flown the course. Now, is that a good idea? No. <laughs> that's assuming everything goes well, right? That's right. So if you want to show up and you want to be a competent racer in your rookie year, I would suggest that you have, like I'm saying, a minimum of 20 hours and you know your plane inside out, you know the emergency procedures, uh, and your plane is ready to go. If you show up with the plagues, um, and you're still trying to figure those out come race day. I mean, your stress level is already through the roof. Um, you know, why add to it? Why add to the risk? So, uh, I would, I would advise against it, but there are people who show up with, you know, um, the minimum 10 hours in their planes and it does show in their performance on the track. So it's, it's not, uh, I guess fair to your fellow racers. I, I found with me the challenge was um, like normal flying. Okay, you can get through. You can get on the course with no time. And assuming the engine keeps running, you'll be fine. Um, but for example, in the recovery, you pull off the course. You've got six airplanes in front of you, right? All in the downwind or something. They're all getting blown out into like two mile long finals, way outside the glide cone of their airplanes. Um, and then you have to make decisions to uh, not get in anybody else's way, but also get yourself back on the ground safely. Yeah. Without getting blown out worse than they do. Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, these are all valid points. You want to be able to get on the race course so you can think about what's going on a half a lap in front of you, you know. And then when it comes time to uh, pull off the course, like Scott says, you know, you have you know, eight planes going around the course. So inevitably you have eight planes pulling off one after the other and you're all going up and downwind. And it's not like these, uh, you know, flight school circuits where you're three miles out and two mile finals, you know, you want to get in and get down as quick as possible. We're running an air show at the same time. So we need to be on time. So to get your uh, intervals uh, right on downwind and get your power settings right on the plane, it's uh, it's critical. Otherwise, you know, you're you're dragging your plane out. It's not safe for you, and then you're forcing your uh, fellow racers behind you to go further and further out, and it just creates a chain reaction for an unsafe situation. Yeah, I find once you know your airplane really well, then you can focus on everything going on outside of the cockpit, like looking yeah. for other airplanes and avoiding um, dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, instead of in the cockpit looking for switches, trying to figure out how to get the mixture right or, you know, stupid things like that. Making sure your airspeed's on where if you're airplane, you never have to look inside because you already know how fast you're. You can just tell from the attitude. Yeah. So when we were tra training for crop dusting, we kind of did, um, you know, kind of the opposite of IFR training where you got the hood on and you're looking at everything inside the plane, you know, we're not looking at anything inside the plane and you have to be able to at any point in time when the instructor uh, calls an emergency, go through the full emergency um, procedures, you know, dump your load. If you have to reload, you know, master makes fuel mixture, try and figure out what's going on with your engine. If you have the time to restart, typically you don't, and then look for a spot to land and land. So 
you know, to be able to just do a flow with your left hand through the plane while you're flying and looking out, um, to be able to have that, uh, memory or mental capacity to be able to just concentrate on flying the plane and everything else is all a memory item. That's, that's, uh, that's important. And on the race course, you may never need it. Hopefully you don't, but the time that you do, it's going to come in and it's going to save your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably, I think when I race, if I had to divvy my attention span up, I'd be 95% outside the airplane, 4% on oil pressure and 1% on airspeed just to double check on approach. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Obviously when you're racing, you're uh, wide open throttle. So, <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot to, to look at in terms of power settings. You're obviously like Scott said, you're checking to make sure you got oil pressure and, uh, Obviously, your speed's uh, plenty. <laughs> yeah, like and, there's almost no uh, adjustments to make. Like if I was yeah. in sport class or something, you, you're already set for best power on takeoff. The tail's yep. flying on brake release already. Yep. Yep. So we need, I, I think that a, a time in airplane before you race is really important. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, think I had. All right. Sorry about that. Looks like Skype crashed out on me and we were, the audio was desynced and then suddenly it just full on crashed. So we're back live though. So yeah, Brian, I guess we could call him the producer here. So he's got, he does all the technical stuff and like, you know, tells us what to do and when and that kind of thing. So it works pretty good. Yep. He's on top of it. He does a way better job than I think I would ever do. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just uh, just trying to get uh, just trying to focus in on on some of this stuff while it's crashing out there. I had a few questions in there. But I was like, am I listening to you guys live or am I listening to you guys on a five second delay? This is <laughs> rather troublesome. But we're back live. It looks like it's all yeah. synced up again. So, hey, uh, hey, Matt, have yeah. you had any emergencies? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. Like I've had a, you know, a little bit of water go through the engine when I'm in, um, and, you know, lose thrust when you're loaded, but it was a pretty minor, um, thing. I had a tailwheel cable, uh, come off one of the pulleys in the tail and lock the tail full, right. Um, oh. which was pretty interesting. That was a takeoff loaded on a grass strip with a crop duster. So I was able to get that stopped and, and had to tow the plane back but other than that that's that's about it so i've been pretty fortunate actually to to not have um a failure how about you um i had four engine failures in my red plane all in the same summer and uh and they're all fuel related when i was trying to figure out that fuel pump yeah so for, the, for those in the line uh some assets um don't run so well without a fuel pump. It's just the the fuel system goes basically from the tank, which is above the pilot's feet, uh, through a three eighths tube or, or hose straight into the carburetor, basically, and sometimes through gasculator. But uh, some people say they need a fuel pump, so you put this little uh, inline fuel pump that's supposed to run. Um, but uh, these fuel pumps it's called a faucet fuel pump. Uh, it's like automotive style. The problem is, is they've got this little tiny check valve in there. Uh, a spring-loaded check valve, uh, and the the fuel pressure is not great enough out of the tank to keep that that spring open. So if you shut the pump off and, and get really low pressure in the tank, then it will close the spring and kill the fuel to the motor and shut the motor off in flight. 
but it's a really easy restart. You just turn the pump back on, it starts back up again. <laughs> so, as long as your electrical yeah. system, yeah, but you still like you're down. Like I didn't know what it was doing at the time. I had not a clue. Yeah. So I was just flying a long pump off because it's a boost pump on my panel when I got the airplanes. Yeah. Long and all of a sudden it would quit. So I'd set up for a landing on Highway 16, which is one of the major divided highways west of the city, and start back up and turn the the boost pump back on, which is like the first thing you do in your checklist, and start yeah. back up right away. Yeah. So it it got annoying for a while because I really didn't try to, try to figure out what it was. So you'd never had I'd actually uh, put it right on the ground, like you'd just be coasting down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you kind of it kind of like coughs for a second, and I can yeah. like feel the vibration of my feet on the rudders as the the motor's like thinking about it, and then boom. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then I'll like. I'll get through like a 180 degree turn while getting the thing restarted as I'm getting set up for the highway and uh, ours back up, but I'm get to the end of the turn. Yeah. That's like our, ours does that when it's inverted for more than a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It like coughs <laughs> for a second and then it just quits. Yeah. Yeah. goes quiet. And as soon as you point it downhill again or get it right side up, it's good to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine's never quit doing aerobatics, but, uh, I, I can definitely see how easy that would be. Yeah. So I, I think this summer without the fuel pump, because uh, I, I, like I had a part to put that electric motor in. Um, so I think I'm going to try just running the fuel line like by pump and seeing if that, uh, how that works. Yeah, that's how ours goes straight out of the tank down to the firewall to the gas escalator and then up to the carburetor. And it's all three, it's line and nothing fancy. Yeah, that, that's how I'm going to try, I think. Do you, you have good, a gas uh, Yeah, I do. And uh, two vent lines that are underneath the, on the belly of the cockpit. In yeah, clean I've got air. those. Yeah. I've got those on the wings. I've, I've got two fuel vents in the wings in the prop stream. So that's as okay. good as you can have it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cassette problems, things Brian never has to worry about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, tell me, tell me the issues with yours, Brian. So in any case, the, the issues going on with mine there, if, uh, uh, if you guys can, uh, can hear me, I guess is, uh, the yep. issues going on, uh, effectively I was having some nose gear problems. Uh, when, uh, when I, whenever I put the nose, uh, or whenever I put the gear down, um, uh, I was doing some, just some test flights and suddenly I was putting the nose, uh, you know, the gear goes up and down, up and down. And, uh, on one flight I came around uh, to land and it just wouldn't go down. The light wouldn't come on. The gear was down. I could see it. I've got mirrors on both wings. I can, I can see if I'm, I'm all right down there. And, uh, but there was no light. So I'd go bring it in and uh, I had a guy look at it and he took a look. He's like, oh yeah, the switch is broken, which it definitely was broken. Uh, you know, normally a switch is, uh, it's, it's normally, normally open and then you press it and it closes off and then it, uh, should, uh, indicate down. But uh, it was indicating exactly the opposite. And because they're daisy-chained, it, uh, it obviously wasn't working. So I, I turn around, I go and uh, uh, we go buy a switch, order a switch in, comes in, and we take a look at it. Uh, we swap out the, the new switch. It's, everything's looking fine. We're like, oh, well, we don't really need to, to, to swing the gear. It should be, should be fine. Uh, that was our big mistake there. So I go do one flight. It seems to be working just fine. And then I do another flight, uh, a night flight of, 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 all, of all things, uh, my first actual night flight in the plane. 
come back down and hit the gear down and there's no light cycle the gear and no light and uh fortunately there was enough light out we could kind of see the front the nose gear we could hear it doing the down and locked click and uh and with that we were uh we, we landed and, and took a look at it but uh uh, uh, brought it in, and of course, sure enough, uh, the cable that we put on there on the new switch wasn't quite long enough, so it was getting hooked around uh, a piece of metal in the uh, in the uh, in the undercarriage, and when the gear would go down, it would just pull the thing out, and it just ripped the whole original switch or the the replacement switch apart. So, uh, installed the new switch, and uh, it's been running fine ever since. So, but that that's your your. I guess we could say is a really good uh, learning opportunity for um, anybody that's looking at buying an airplane. So one of the big downfalls of buying certified is somebody else to work on it. So that that's a delay if you don't have anybody lined up already. If you're at some small airport somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's uh, the biggest issue there is that uh, you got to wait for wait for someone else. Uh, yeah. Do we have a... So. You guys have a sponsor uh, for this um, session? Yeah. So yeah, um, man. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, before we do that, though, let's see it. Uh, all right. That. That's, that. That was a atomic pumpkin Lego. That was an animation of outlaw. This is. That's atomic pumpkin. That's uh, outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> there's a very cool engineer at reno uh who designs lego kits um go on facebook it's flying bricks b-r-i-x uh he designs lego kits for airplanes uh, color schemes them all that kind of thing uh we sell them on airracegear.com you can buy t-shirts you can buy lego kits you can buy we've got a whole bunch of really really um race or so check it out if uh, if you're looking for anything fun to wear um we're gonna try and put some uh, used parts on there soon i think so that'll be uh, uh, kind of a cool hub to to buy components as well so it's growing like used prop bolts and tires <laughs> oh man i'm gonna put so much on there <laughs> all these pieces cabin heat valves and you know things that collect well brian get this in about 30 seconds but uh you want to wrap it up there but yeah we may as well wrap it up there and uh and uh it's kind of a semi-successful uh, initial first test podcast but uh Hopefully I'll be able to get the audio issues all synced up there with the uh with the actual edit and post that uh in the next couple of days all right do another one maybe next weekend get some uh, airplane action in or something uh, yeah that's what i'm thinking bring in more people yeah i guess uh if the audience wants to see anything in particular any subject uh they could post it in the comments below or on the uh facebook on the facebook or the youtube i guess feed eh? Yep. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So we they can yeah. post it on uh, send it off to us on on Facebook or uh, we have Instagram now. We have our Instagram account is actually being I'm starting to actually post stuff on there. 
Uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, so Facebook is kind of our big one. We're gonna be setting up a YouTube channel, so uh, so just wait for that, and we'll we'll start posting the actual live videos onto there as well. Uh, I'm doing a bit of systems upgrade here at home, so we'll have a, a be able to dual stream it to both Facebook and and uh, and uh, YouTube at the same time for for the next uh, next one we want, and uh, we'll get some uh, some more guests on here in the coming weeks. So if people have uh, interesting projects or some cool aviation stories, I guess they could hit you guys up and uh, and get on the show or something like that. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, exactly. So we have uh, we have a, a couple people lined up. We're just trying to sort out some schedule stuff with them. Uh, some really interesting guests uh, upcoming here that uh, I'm just working on some scheduling with them and. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll see we'll see all those all those go obviously with the uh, the whole uh, you know black plague zombie virus going on we uh, we have a it's a little hard trying to schedule people but now that we have an actual Skype set up that uh, that's at least semi functional we'll uh, we'll be up and ready to go for uh, for uh, for future for future recordings. I uh, awesome. I know a couple of black projects that uh, people might be willing to talk about. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Well, that's the end of it. Fair enough. See you all next week. See you next week. All right.